0: everybody wants
1: to work, na-na-na me, work, oh, no, me, everybody
2: has to work, na, na na me, oh, not me. everybody to work, <laughs> <laughs> Hello everyone and welcome to Life of Brian, <laughs> <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Mannix that is, <laughs> the podcast, the bi-coastal <laughs> oh, podcast or the bi-state podcast or the by the seat of our pants podcast, I'm not quite sure. Hello Brian Mannix. Hello, uh, Kevin. How are you today? I'm well. <laughs> I'm
3: well. You just reminded me of this bloke down at my pub in Melbourne called Nick, and he believes that Brian Mannix is one word. So it's always Hi, Brian Mannix. How are you today, Brian <laughs> Mannix? <Hey, laughs> Brian Mannix. And uh, when the fact you said Brian Mannix has made me think of that. So my apologies.
2: <laughs> I'm going to do that. I'm uh, already. I'm going to do that for this whole show, Brian Mannix.
3: <laughs> yeah, little kids offered it. Hello, Brian Mannix. How are you, Brian Mannix? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you, yeah, It's funny.
2: How is, uh, how is life in the rock star uh, uh, world? How is life in Queensland slash uh, Victoria? Because you've been beetling around between the two a fair bit lately.
3: Yes, I was in Melbourne uh, until yesterday and I had to go into my um, – my clothes and find my big heavy coat because it was freezing. Mm. I don't know if I just felt it more because I've been up here. But, um, yeah, it was cold. And um, But, you know, it's good to sort of pop back into Melbourne briefly. But, um, and I'm back there again on this week because I'm going to do Spicks and Specs. So. Oh, so you've
2: got a guernsey on the on the new season of Spicks and Specs. Good?
3: Yeah, I'm doing a couple of little things. I don't think I'm on the panel. I'm doing a... I've got a couple of things for me to do, so that's always a pleasure. That's yeah. always good fun.
2: Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, and good to see that that show is back and, uh, and got a life, uh, you know, not not every week, which is probably where it shouldn't be, so uh, it's good. I, I, I love Speaks and Specs. I think it's a great
4: show.
3: Yeah, it's a funny one. Lots of old people really like it. Like My mum used to love it, and she wouldn't have known any of the answers, but a lot of old people do, and I think it's because it's like they have company in their house. So, you know, if you're living by yourself and then that comes on, you feel like you've got people over. Yeah. Um, that, that's my theory anyway.
2: Oh, Miff's a lovely girl and, uh, and Alan Bruff's a nice fella and uh, Adam Hills is, a you know, a nice, seemingly nice fella as well. They're the most unselfish
3: television performers going. They want the show to be good and if the guests on a roll, they'll sit back and let the guest have a roll and, oh, there's my motorbike start.
2: I was going to say, and what the f*** go. was that?
3: That's um, Guy
2: overcompensating, you need a bike that big. Right. That was a motorbike. I think it shattered, I think it shattered the microphone in your computer. <laughs> I think it might have. <laughs> Good Come, God. Here, All right. Now, on this edition of Life of Brian, uh, it's a, uh, my goodness me, is this a mixed platter of, uh, of goodies that we're serving up?
3: It is. It's a beauty, though, I reckon. Yep. Oh, shut up, mate.
2: Can you just get the Comancheros just to go to another table, (laughs) if you wouldn't mind? Brian's coming to us live from his new venue of choice, the Burley Tavern or the Burley Beer Garden or the Burley something.
3: What's he doing just revving up in the car park?
2: Sorry. So, let's get back to our guest list. Oh, okay. Yeah. Fiona Patton, MP.
3: She's mighty impressive.
2: Yes, she is. Leader no, she, of the, she's good. She's leader of the Reason Party and, in Victorian State Parliament. Uh, who have a couple of, uh, uh, I think, candidates running around in the, in the federal election. But uh, we're going to talk to her about politics and about, you know, the behind-the-scenes stuff in politics. Yeah, she was really, really interesting, I thought. I, I was really impressed with her. Yep. And she's not a bad sort either. Oh,
3: don't <laughs> start that stuff. To, honestly. Well, a, well, compared to your average. Politician, They're not, you know, have a look at Craig Kelly. He's not there for his good looks,
2: is he? I was going to say you're comparing uh, Fiona to the other two guests on the program. Oh, I, think <laughs> I
3: think she's quite beautiful. Okay. And, um, I don't think there are many other people in uh, politics, well, apart from Gladys, um, oh. but they're beautiful.
2: Okay. You know?
3: she's beautiful and smart.
2: Yes, she most certainly is. Now, Steve Williams is, uh, I don't know if he's beautiful, but he's certainly smart and he's a hell of a guitar player.
3: He is. He's great. He's a lovely
2: bloke. He is, and uh, you'll know him from Nee and from uh, Matt Finish and from the Party Boys. I mean, he's played with – have you have you played with Steve in terms of has he been a member of a band you've been in at any stage?
3: Yeah, he was um, he used to play with us when we'd go to Adelaide. Oh, okay. And uh, he'd, be, you know, he'd be in our Adelaide band. He's very, very good, and he's cool as hell on stage. He always, you know, looks the part – Plays the plays the role really well. I'm, I'm always happy to be uh, in a band with Steve.
2: Has a new album out called Deja Vu.
3: Yes, I think <laughs> I've heard that one before.
2: <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Oh, thank you. And uh, we'll uh, we'll play uh, something off the album for you, and have a chat to him about that, and then have a chat to him about the Wa Nidos. And our other guest is Colin mm-hmm. Hay, who joins us uh, back again to talk about his new album Now and the Evermore.
3: Oh, there you go. Although I didn't catch up with Colin uh, on this one, you did that one solo.
2: No, that restraining order finally kicked in, and uh, that was the yeah. end of that.
3: Fair enough. Yeah, Fair not, enough.
2: not the one about, not the one from you and Colin. Hey, no, the one from you and me. Uh, now, oh, okay. see <laughs> the, the other one. The other one we must talk about, of course, uh, and not guests on the program, but uh, an integral part of this program is Murcott's driving excellence
3: one three hundred triple five five seven six. 576 Could
2: you just yell that number out so that dickhead on the uh, motorbike can hear that?
3: Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> hey, dickhead, yeah. 1-300-555-576. Get some muffler train. <laughs> exactly, uh, because uh, they are the people who stop you doing stupid, ridiculous things like that because they give you the skills and teach you what being in charge of a motor vehicle is about and uh, what you've got uh, in your hands there and how best to use it so as everyone gets out of here safely, happily and uh, in one piece. That's their deal.
3: Exactly what I was about to say. Exactly yes. those
2: words. <laughs> yeah. Well, if that bloke comes back past you again, uh, please pass on those wise words of wisdom from the pair of us to, to him. Uh, I think his name's Toby something, isn't it? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it's one of
3: my coming hero mates that I've... Around with that, be fantastic.
2: Yeah, too many episodes of Sons of Anarchy for some people. And they just need to back off the Sons of Anarchy and get to Murcott's driving excellence. There's the there's the balance in life that you need. That is perfectly put, Kev. Perfectly or, put. Let's get to our first guest. Uh, where we don't. We, I don't think we've. I think apart from Dawn Fraser, I can't think of a politician we've ever had. And yeah, Dawn yeah. wasn't a, a sitting politician at the time, but uh, I don't think we've ever had a politician on this podcast. He had Dick Smith, but he's kind of, he's not really a politician, is he? No. Yeah, so this is the first time I think we've had someone who actually is a member of uh, one of the, uh, you know, legal bodies of, uh, of governing in this country on this, uh, on this podcast. So, uh, well done, Fiona. Welcome to the show.
3: Your book, Sex, Drugs and uh, the Electoral role. you know, I was just reading up about you and going and doing a bit of research and uh, what an interesting life you've had. And I just think it'd make a great movie. Has anybody ever approached you about the book and turning it into a movie? Well,
5: um, uh, there, there was there's some someone approached us a couple of years ago about a mini series, uh, you know, like a I don't know, some sort of Netflix thing. But no, no, no nothing, nothing serious. We did have a play made about us. Oh, great! The, the major minor party. Yeah, it, it was. um it, they they just it was one of those verbatim plays where they only use transcripts of what you've actually said or what people have actually said about you. So yeah, we had a play once, but well, that's no, I terrific. don't think and I, I and Robbie, my partner, was played a big role in in that book. I just I never actually thought that people would read it. Like that never occurred to me. I knew we had to write it because we'd got a contract to write it, but I just had never occurred to me that people would read it and. You know, even
3: you saying it was interesting, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, it's a, yeah, as I said, it would make a great miniseries or a great movie. Um, mm. It's got all the ingredients and uh, it's, you know, and a surprise yeah. ending that you end up in politics. It's like, yeah. you'll start <laughs> a movie. that's the last thing you're going to expect.
2: <laughs> so, do you like um, politics, Fiona? Is politics an enjoyable, um, uh, uh, you know, job?
5: You know, Kevin, it's a it's a difficult question because politics is difficult. But I actually love it, and and I feel so like I kind of pinch myself as I run up the stairs to Parliament, even now. And I'm in I'm in my seventh year. Like it's still like I look up at that building, and go wow, I still I work here. But you know, there's some real bastards, and like it, it can be horrible, you know. I, you know, like yesterday I was walking up those stairs and there was people yelling at me from the bottom of the stairs, you know, about what a scoundrel I was and etc. cetera. Um, so it has its moments. You get to meet a whole range of different people. As an independent, I get to learn about like a multitude of issues and hear so many people's stories that I never would have had the opportunity to do. So... I, I do love it and I think I don't know that I'd love it if I was in a major party I think being an independent um, or being part of a small party you've got much greater flexibility you know you every votes a conscience vote and I think that means that you you never well I'm not saying you never disgrace yourself but you don't <laughs> um you don't, you don't you can go to sleep at night feeling comfortable about the decisions uh, that you've made
3: what would you think of the the key attributes for a good politician: a tough skin, um, good communicator, or good mind, or maybe there's something I'm missing.
5: Look, I, th- I think all of those, all of those are um a, a good good attributes. Um, I think one thing is you've probably got to like people, yeah. and that doesn't always. Sorry, is that annoying you? That bell?
3: No, that's all right. I'm loving it. I reckon that
5: okay, the highlight so far. No, I think all of those attributes, but you know, one of the most important things is I think you have to actually like people. And I've met a number of MPs who probably don't actually like people, and they, um, and so they find this job really hard because you're out there connecting with people all the time, um, having a. Uh, an interest in a range of issues certainly helps you get started, but then you quick realise that, you know, you'll be voting on, you know, whether the Port of Melbourne should be, you know, um, sold or leased or you'll be voting on a whole range of different issues, you know, whether 1080 yep. baits should be available. So you've got to be, there's a, I think there's a flexibility that's required as a Member of Parliament and, you know, for me... I'm constantly saying, you know, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good and and I think, you know, being able to see other points of view and be able to um, be able to change your mind and be able to, yeah, be able to to be flexible and, you know, not kind of say it's my way or the highway. You know, you've got to be able to, to understand that, you know, I, I guess politics quite often is about compromise.
2: Yeah. How have you viewed the election campaign, the federal election campaign from from Spring Street?
5: I guess I view it from Spring Street, but I've also got candidates running. So I've got, you know, I, I've, got a ho- I've got a horse and I've got horses in the race. Yep. So I, I'm, there's, a, there's a bit of interest from that level. I, I'm not sure that we're winning the hearts and minds of people. And I, I think that, sadly, the level of cynicism around politics, they're all the bloody same, you know, we can't trust them. You know, there seems to be that rhetoric that's out there. But for for Victoria, we've been, you know, so kind of maligned during COVID by, by our federal MPs, sitting MPs and by the federal government at the moment. And I don't think there's a lot of love for, you know, the Josh Frydenbergs who've just been sort of, Telling Victorians that it's been our own bloody fault that you know that we've had COVID lockdowns and etc. Um, so from here, I, I hope that we get the you know I don't care whether we get Labor or Lib. Well, I probably do. I probably want to see the end of this government because I think this government, as I say, has maligned Victoria, has neglected Victoria, and as a Victorian, I think I'd like to see to see a government that paid more attention to Victoria. It's been a lot of gotcha moments. It's not been Yes, you know, I didn't think the debates have been particularly edifying and unsadly I don't think I think it's exactly what the community expects us to behave like. Not good.
3: Yeah. Um yeah, interesting what you say about Victoria. We've Melbourne's gone from the most livable city seven times to the most locked down, pretty Buenos yeah. Aires. And um, gee, that's a big turnaround in a lot of ways, I think. And um and we're yeah. so much in debt.
5: The debt has definitely grown. I think it's not in the hundreds of billions, but at a state level, I think we're somewhere like minus nine. Oh. You know, but but probably what no one expected was that we'd have this huge housing boom during this time. Yeah. So one of the biggest places where state governments make, make their income is actually on land transfers when properties are bought and sold. So the government has had a bit of a bumper bumper year
1: yeah.
5: uh, due to that. But, you know, our spending on health has been enormous, like 42% of our budget is going into health. And, wow. that, and 42% of, so that's 42% of what we're spending on services, but also it's about 40% spent, 40% on what we're spending on assets in this budget. So in building those hospitals and, you know, responding to, you know the backlog that we've got from covid on elective surgery and all of that. So yeah, look, I'm not trying to paint, you know, too rosy a picture, but it was um yeah, it was it was interesting that you didn't re- I didn't really think about how the housing boom affects the state government's treasury coffers and that really the feds who had to pay who were paying the job keeper who were increasing the pensions who were dealing with the high rates of unemployment, you know, their budget took a bigger hit than than in actual fact the state budget did because that money was flowing into Victoria.
1: Yeah,
2: how dirty is politics, Fiona?
5: It depends how you play it. Like i don't I don't see any reason in playing it dirty. I I don't see any advantage. You know, to be quite honest, and my mother, I think I think my mum was pretty clever in telling me what a bad liar I was um, all my life. So. I always thought I was a bad liar, so I've never really, you know, gone down that path. I, I don't know that we can use this word, but, I mean, you do get fucked over yep. um, from, from time to time. But most, most people in the chamber, and I'm looking at question time at the moment as we talk, most of the people in the chamber are actually pretty decent human beings. You know, if you're in a major party, it's do anything to win and it seems like the, what happens inside your party is far dirtier than what you're doing on the outside of your party. So, as someone said to me, you know, they would. Oh, I was listening to a talk, and it was a former minister, and he said it was never the people across the chamber that I was worried about. It was the people behind me I was worried about. Uh, and you know, th- that seems to be what I'm experiencing and seeing in in Parliament. That you know, the the larger parties, their factions, their infighting that that. The acts within the party seem to be far dirtier than the acts you see on the outside.
3: Are you familiar with the um, the I cook thing?
5: I'm very familiar. I chaired both of the inquiries for it. Um, Why isn't it going
3: anywhere? To me, it seems pretty obvious, but you know, I'm, I'm a layman. I don't know.
5: Yeah, look, Brian, I it's it's actually it was really complicated. So we I did the so we chaired the first inquiry and. You know, it, it there is no doubt that the Cook family um, were treated poorly. And yeah. you know, it and and the processes that occurred just were not correct. You know, and it oh. just it really sucked that you know, rather than someone putting saying, you know, giving them a call or sending them an email saying, Listen, you know, there's a closure notice for you to fit you've got um, you've got to go and fix up your kitchen and do all of this stuff you know instead someone goes and you know kind of nails a notice on their on their front gate at 3am in the morning you know the, the processes were shit um it certainly you know the communication was terrible um i i think there was a lot of you know there was absolute mismanagement uh and but I, I'm not sure about the conspiracy. You know when you think conspiracy, you know, yeah. conspiracy yeah. versus cock-up, um, <laughs> I'm kind of falling on the side of cock-up on this one. Police have now said they don't think that there's an investigation. There's a civil case being heard now, and I think that case is due to be heard in, the, in whichever court. I'm not sure whether it's Supreme Court um, it, next month. They've got, you know, oh. they've got the QC Robert Richter appearing for them. So this will be, I think, we've done two parliamentary inquiries. We subpoenaed, we subpoenaed the health department. We subpoenaed the the council. We subpoenaed their records. You know, we pulled out as much information as we could. We went as deep as we could. The police then took took it to the next level, and now now it's being heard in the courts.
2: Fair enough. Can I get you back yep. to, I've uh, got a, quick, a philosophical, about that. no, no, yeah. no that's Sorry. perfectly right. No, it's Look, a, obviously
5: Sluggate takes you down yeah. that hole every time. <laughs> you
2: know? yeah. I've got a philosophical yeah. question I want to ask you. A, people are going to go to the, to the polls for the federal election and they're going to go to the state election polls very soon after that, by yeah. the looks of things. Uh, you mentioned before about our attitude towards politicians, and they're all the same, and mm. we can't trust them, and all that. So, someone who goes to a, a polling booth for the federal election and now for the state election, who literally stands there and goes, "Well, I don't know who the hell I'm going to vote for because I don't bloody like yeah. any of them," so bugger it, yeah. I'll just I won't vote at all, or I'll vote informally. What do you say to them in terms of making well, I, your vote think, count? You know what? Th-
5: we are incredibly lucky in a country where we we have the right to vote. And, and when we, you know, and that our governments make it as easy or as possible to vote. You know, we don't say, oh, there's only voting on a Tuesday and you've got to go, you know, you've got to take an hour off work to go and vote. We say, you can vote for the next two weeks. So so we have this wonderful right to vote, but I think we have a responsibility to do that as well. You know, we have a responsibility to participate and, and to participate in our democratic process. So I see voting as a responsibility. And I also think, look, it doesn't take you much to actually do a little bit of homework, to actually Google the people that are running and and, and actually have a look. I know people quite often say, I'm not interested in politics. Generally speaking, after you've said that you're not interested in politics, you ask them about the health system or about going to the doctor or about public transport and I tell you, they've got a lot to tell you about that. (laughs) You know, so we are political despite what we say. I think what's really encouraging is that that young people are getting much more motivated Uh, and now the the Electoral Commission told told us that 96% of of Australians are registered to vote. Now, that's incredible, you know. That, that's that's an incredible number and it's the highest it's ever been and they 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 say that that had a lot to do with the marriage equality debate but all of these oh, yeah. people who had never registered to vote actually registered so that they could take part in that the um in that plebiscite yeah my my thing is it is your responsibility to vote and i would encourage you to you know if you honestly hate every single person well sure put in a blank ballot but I think if you actually did some homework, you would probably find that there were some people that did align with a number of your values and that, that you could find that you could put a number next next to that person. And I'd really encourage people to look at small parties. You know, we've got a real, well, we've, people call our crossbench something like the Star Wars bar. You know, it's like it's <laughs> quite mad sometimes, you know, and we've got these, you know free mad freedom fighters and you know then we've got the you know the the vegans and the shooters and you know it's a it's a really diverse range but it's really reflective of our community yep. and most of those people who have gone in there and if whether i agree with them or not have gone in there and advocated for their community and have advocated you know passionately for what they believe in I think having independent voices in there actually gives up gives the community a much better voice than just having two, the major parties in there fighting like they do.
3: Yeah, I agree. And I think you make a good point. I was in America a couple of years ago and I was talking to this girl and she was bagging Trump and he was the worst and he was terrible and he was an embarrassment yeah. and went on and on and on. And then I said to her, did you vote? And she said, well, no, I didn't. And I, I just thought, well... If you don't vote, you can't really complain about the result, And I think yeah. that's, uh, that's why yeah. we should vote because otherwise, if you don't vote, don't complain about anything that happens over the next four uh, years.
5: And and honestly, look, we are opening up. We have got early polling open from 8am to 8pm for two weeks prior to Election Day. They, we have postal voting. In this country, makes voting as easy, as simple as possible. And, yeah, I, I just... Yeah, you know, I, I go to lots of citizenship ceremonies, which I just love doing. You know, and they and new citizens take this pledge to this country, and it's about the rights that this country provides to us, but the responsibilities we have right back to that country. So I I certainly think participation, civics participation, is really, um, is really important, and and it it has it has positive impacts. You know, we we can change. You know, look at marriage equality that that we got that because people got involved and put their hands up and 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 started and started campaigning you know there's lots of other examples like that where you know the community can make a difference Fiona I
2: have this theory that I reckon too many politicians spend too much time worrying about being re-elected and not enough time worrying about doing what they actually need to do how do we how do we fix that and what would you say to your fellow politicians be they state or federal um, uh, about that? Kind of attitude.
5: Yeah, look, I think I think you know probably fixed terms actually help. Looking at a federal at the federal parliament because we don't have fixed terms, they're actually almost in re-election campaign from the day they they get elected. You know, they're they're starting and and it might and because the the government of the day can decide when that election is. You know, we don't know whether they're going to be in there for for two years or three years or yeah. or three and a half or whatever it might be. So I, I think probably. All most states have moved to a fixed term, and I think the feds should do the same. Yeah, you know, I would be really open to start talking about uh, limited terms that you can only do two terms. I really felt that two terms, eight years in this ha- in this chamber, was a great opportunity, and that it was one that I should pass on to other people. Now, had I been had I been successful in getting a second person elected, this this would have been my last term. Um, But I wasn't, so I'm the only one there. So I kind of have to uh, keep the the flag of reason flying and so I'll be running again at at this state election. But I I do think if you can't do what you're doing in eight years, then maybe you need to rethink how you're doing it if you're in this chamber. And, And I've managed to get quite a bit of legislation through. I know I could walk away feeling, you know, not... Sure, I wanted to do more, but but pleased that I got stuff done. Yeah, I think fixed terms, but I also wonder if we do limit the number of years. So, you know, there's people in here who've been in there for 30 years and I'm not sure what they're going to show for it at the end.
3: Yeah. I think um, because we do have, you know, such small terms, we we tend to not look at the big picture. And Mm. I think that as much as I don't like China or Russia, but when you've got a bloke in there for 10 or 20 years, he can think about what's going to happen in 15, whereas our politicians can't. And yeah. so you're kind of thinking, you know, you might do a year or two years, All right, we've got to get re-elected now. Whereas, you know, Z mm. over in China and Putin, they just go, well, I'm here and um, here's what's going to happen in 20 years and here's what's going to happen in 25 and... I think that's in some ways a bit of an advantage because you can look at the bigger picture more than you can with a four-year
5: term. Be careful what you wish for. Yeah, you know, in some ways, you know, um, got someone like Fred Nile in New South Wales, who's um, you know, every time he gets elected, he gets an eight-year term. So he's been in there for he's been in there for like thirty-two years. Or, wow. you know, I mean, he's he's eighty-seven now you know, you're right, you know, you look at something like housing, building the, the amount of housing that we're going to need and changing the, you know, building public housing and social housing, you know, like we have always done in this country but have have not been doing for the last 40 years. It's it's, it's a 20-year project at least. Now, yeah. so so there's no, there's not going to, so anyone who really wants to solve that problem is not going to be around to cut the ribbon on the projects when they're finished. And so I think that means that they're reluctant to do it because they won't get the credit at the end for what they're doing. And um, and so, you know, we've just been hassling to get a transport plan. What What's Victoria's transport system gonna look like in 20 years? Now, I think that's a really important question. You know, if you're a, a business, you know, when businesses look at where they're gonna be in 10 years, where they're gonna be in five years, and it's really hard. It, I I agree with you. I think governments find great difficulty in doing that. Even our our budgets only go to four years. So we only do forecasts for four years. Now, that might be as far as you can crystal ball um, the economic environment. But, you know, in looking at trying to imagine what Victoria is going to be like in 20 years, in 30 years, how are we going to move to renewables? How are we going to address, you know, the growing population, we have to have a 20-year plan. And, yeah, it's probably much easier to have a 20-year plan in China than it is to have one in Victoria. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. But more importantly... <laughs> However, let's be careful what we wish for. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair enough.
2: More importantly, how good do you look in a high-vis vest and a, and a, and a hard hat when the, uh, the oh. ceremony? That's uh, There's too much of that rubbish crap goes on too, I, Mate, I reckon. Uh,
5: serious. Yeah, Kevin, I, I agree. I, 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 don't, I don't get many invites to do that. <laughs> But um, occasionally I just photograph myself in a high vis vest just outside my house or something. Just, you know, if I'm like, you know, you know, hanging something in the backyard, I put a high vis vest on, you know, look at that, you know, nice plant up, he, up there. Do
3: you, do you get any photos or film of you having a schooner in the local pub? Because <laughs> they love, they love, getting, you know, <laughs> elbow and that. They get the oh, just having a pot with the local blokes. And the way they sip, you think, eh, I don't know whether you ever get down to the yeah, pub or who not. Have
5: you that done much. that before? No. Look, <laughs> to be honest, Brian, there's probably one too many photos of me in a pub. Um, <laughs> <laughs>
3: I
2: know how you feel. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, Fiona, well, I know you're busy. Thanks so much. For, I know you've got a million things on. Thanks so much for spending some time with us and, and, and speaking a bit of, you know, common sense and politics. Gee we soon knew yeah. they could be used in the same yeah. sentence?
5: Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah. No, thanks, guys. It's been great to have a chat. No, good on Eddie you. Yourself. Thanks, oh, Fiona. As
2: John Farnham would say,
5: let's make it the age of reason. That's right, yeah. <laughs> if only he'd let me use that song. Oh, there you really? go. Maybe when he's finished with his final farewell tours, he might, like, he might oh, let us. God, you know? we'll all be 150
2: by then, <laughs> Fiona, don't worry about that. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for your time. See ya. Take yeah. care. Lovely talking to you.
5: See ya.
2: Cheers. Bye. Now, Brian, we, we can't play Age of Reason by uh, John Farnham because clearly the uh, Fiona's asked for that, but you just sing a couple of bars. You and I are sing a couple of bars of Age of Reason. What about the world Around, Around, uh, Why can't we play one
3: of her other songs then, Kev? Because her new album is absolutely brilliant.
2: Who? Fiona's uh, album?
3: Fiona's album. It's terrific. <laughs> it's uh, called Body Politics and <laughs> it's available practically nowhere, but she does some great versions of some Angel songs, does a couple of Midnight Oil songs, and, of course, her... Uh, uh,
2: Version of uh, Hot Potato by The Wiggles is to die for. Yeah, <laughs> I'll see what we can find. While we wait, we might talk to Steve Williams. Now, we mentioned in the opening of the show, Steve's uh, been a guitarist with. The, he was a founding member of Yow who were massive uh, for their time. Yeah. And the late, the late Paul Gray, of course, was the other part of Yow So we'll we'll talk to him about that. And of course, he's got a new album out called Deja Vu, which is uh, he's he's singing on this one and uh, and playing all the bits and pieces. So we'll we'll get the story behind it for you.
3: All oh, right, that sounds like a plan.
2: So we're talking to Steve about Deja Vu, the new album that he's put together.
3: I think I've heard that before. Deja vu, get it? Hey, <laughs> on fire. <laughs> yeah. Where'd you record it at, Steve?
4: I did it in my home studio in Melbourne. Um, and a few little bits were done in other places, but mostly done at home, you know, with the with my own setup. You know, I mean you can do quite quite good stuff nowadays with, with very little. It's quite cool.
3: Did you play most of the instruments on it or...?
4: Yeah, I'm playing all the instruments apart from, I think, bass on one track. Right. And obviously I've got a couple of other singers. And on that track, Potato Man, which is about one of the leading members of the political party I despise, um, (laughs) there's various guests, you know, musicians like there's a guy called Ralph Frank playing saxophones. He's amazing and played with Sting and a whole bunch of people. Um, uh, you know, I've got Glenn Muirhead Who's an amazing synth player Pat Powell from Melbourne Scar Orchestra John Kenny, who's the guy from the Rockmelons singing You know, and, and some other There's the great, that great female sort of soul singer Her name's Rachel Rachel Summers She's a, a girl I've known for a while But I mean, the rest of the album is pretty much just me
3: Yeah Oh, well,
4: that's a good way to go Because, you
3: know, if you make a mistake it's, You can only blame yourself Well, if somebody stuffed it up Well, I stuffed it up um, well, you know what is a- too, man.
4: It's like necessity breeds invention, right? So, I mean, I, I'd love to have an actual band and work in a proper studio, but that's not happening, you know. So, um, how do I get these songs into some sort of form where people can hear them? Okay, I've got to learn this shit myself. It's just a, it's all a learning process, I guess. I mean, in the past, I'd, I've done a lot of stuff, but I'd always just walk in and play guitar, man. It's, which to me, is like you know, I, I don't even have to think about that. You know what I mean? I've been doing it for so long; it's it's easy. Yeah, music's a bit like dancing in that we always strive to get it
3: something perfect, but I don't know that anything is ever is perfect because there's always something you can do to maybe make it better or take something out to make it better. But, you know, that's, that's one of the things about it, I guess, is that you continue to learn and you continue to strive for perfection knowing that you'll probably never get perfection, but you'll come pretty damn close.
4: I, I really have a thing whereby... Uh, I reckon rehearsing and overdoing something kills the vibe totally. I really yeah. like that thing of like being fresh with stuff, you know.
3: Yeah, we were talking to um, Steve Kilby and he's very much yep. the same in that he gets yep. some musos in to play for him and they get two passes and that's it. And if it's not done after two passes, well, it just is what it is and he can't stand working slowly. And like you, he says that, you know, you generally get that great – vibe, you know on the first couple of takes because, absolutely yeah you don't have the i don't know the enthusiasm kept waning uh, after take I four I think or also five, there's a, sure.
4: there's some there's something about reacting to stuff right which is a natural mm. kind of response right now when i think you do that in the first for generally the first takes the best right so once you've done it a few times you're not reacting anymore you're actually you, you know where it's going and so you're kind of playing within the rules a lot more
3: Working spontaneously is always a, a really good thing. Um, I know with the X Men, we'd do a song yeah. and they'd, they you know, they work out some guitar parts, and that was good. And then they'd continue to work out more guitar parts to the point where you got forty nine tracks of guitar and you're trying to find a space for them all. And um, sure. I think you know with them it was better to sort of go, you got two takes, that's it. If,
4: if we if we look at like Wa nee for instance, that first record. Paul Gray and I pretty much did ourselves with this guy called Jim Tag, and we had 10 songs. We did them really quickly in like six weeks and, and the album was, you know, came up pretty good and it, and it did okay stuff. Um, the second album, because we had success, you know, they threw a whole bunch of money at us and we spent fucking like ages recording all these songs and redoing things and then like the record company are involved now because we've had hits and it completely fucked it up and, and you know, they're, they're having immediate, like one situation we did. We did one of the songs. We did a mix. The A and R guy wanted the claps louder, and we were like, "Fuck, man! You know what it costs to go in and remix the song back then? It was this is all done on analog tape and shit, right?" So we we decided we weren't going to do that, and we would just um, go back a couple of you know maybe a week or so later and playing the same track. And he's like, "Oh man, that's a freaking hit now!" <laughs> 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 you know right. So you know, I think it's where, where, as soon as there's a board of people involved, you're fucked, basically, right?
2: Yeah. Hey, can we ask you about uh, Deja Vu, the title track of this album? Tell us a story about about that because it's a really good story, Steve.
4: Yeah. Well, what happened is my 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 wife and I, um, you know, we dated, you know, for a year or so in the late '80s, you know, and I was traveling around a real lot, and um, she was a, she was you know she had her own career. She was a model and also a fashion designer. So we kind of ended up going our separate ways and I hadn't seen her for, you know, it was 27 years, right? So anyway, about a year before we reconnected, I had this dream so weird, right, that I was in this strange kind of Art Deco building and I was actually swimming, which is not something I do that often. Um, and she was watching me. She was sitting up on this kind of like pedestal, I guess, looking down on me swimming, right? And I didn't really kind of think that much of it, right? And then know fast forward a year we've actually reconnected and we've gotten married i've come to melbourne to live with her and we went to this little place down near the um near the yarra river um to go for lunch and then after we'd had lunch she said to me hey um you know i nearly bought this beautiful apartment in this art deco sort of building around the corner so do you want to come and have a look so i went up there and we went up and had a look at this place i got to say, this is a very unique building. It's not a generic kind of, you know, block of flats kind of thing. It was the bloody place from my dream. I kid you not, this was so, this freaked me out. This is totally mental. And, you know, I mean, to me that was such a weird thing. I'm not really into, like, I wouldn't normally believe something like that. If someone told me, I'd be like, sure, that's, you know, whatever, right? But this is dead said the truth. And, and um, you know, so, I mean, it, it to me, once I get an idea for a song, I mean, that,
3: The song just almost writes itself Yeah 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 Um No I'm right into all that sort of stuff Where you know Coincidence and Things like that happen And you know I believe in ghosts And all sorts of shit But Um I I think Um You know I just think that There's a lot In the world That we don't know about And um And And I I think sometimes Those things Are things that we don't know about And we can't We don't have the brain power To understand them But um I reckon that they're surely there. So, um, no, I that's great, the, you know.
4: My wife and I have such an incredible connection and bond. I mean, I guess everyone says this, but we really do. Um, I guess, in a way, it was something coming to me from somewhere, God knows where, that made me kind of think about that. And, and you know, it was really weird because we were doing a gig uh, with Wallonie at the Palais in Melbourne. Um, it was a whole bunch of 80s acts like, you know, um, it was Berlin and, and uh, you know, Katrina and the Waves and all these sort of acts. Real Life were on it as well. I think Real Life and Wawa even the two Aussie bands on the thing. And the, so there was a poster outside the venue, you know, with the names of the acts on it. And one of her friends saw it and then, you know, she said, oh, there's that, blah, blah, blah. And then they took So e- even if that gig hadn't happened, we wouldn't have reconnected. So it was this whole series of kind of very small coincidences that led to us getting back together, you know.
2: Wow.
4: Yeah. There you go. Mate. Me-
2: meant to be. I want to talk about uh, another track on the album, which is called "Pump," which I really like. Yeah. Interesting story about that too, because it's about someone being in jail. Now, of the three people in this uh, in this current uh, configuration in this interview, I think only one of the three of us have been in jail, and surprisingly, it's not Brian. <laughs> it's me. <laughs> I have been. What
4: in did you go to jail for? for? Well, I was actually we were doing the support. We did all the supports Australia wide with Cindy Lauper in the in maybe like '86 or something. So we had a gig in Brisbane and we were driving from um, we were driving from Sydney to Brisbane. And Brian, you remember what it was like back then? There was no rules about anything, right? The shit you used to do. I mean, we used to we were encouraged to drive really fast, and our our management used to pay our park, our speeding fines, right? So we kind of had to. We had to drive mega fast, otherwise. The option was either to stick to the speed limit and you've got no time before the gig. You're just going to go straight on or really fang it and then you might have a couple of hours you can go and have a sleep and, a you know, sandwich or whatever, right? So, anyway, long story short, I'm driving at 170 kilometres whilst smoking a joint. They had, oh. like, radars weren't thing at this point, so you only had to look in the rear vision mirror and provided you didn't see a flashing blue light, you yeah, should be okay, so I'm checking. Suddenly there's a flashing light coming towards me and I'm like, what the fuck is this? Like, this is you know, and it's me, the the guy's got me. So he did a, you know, he pulled us over and he had this radar, he clocked me at 170 Ks. So, you know, he took us back to the jail cell. I can't remember the name of the town. It was somewhere on the central coast. And he locked us up. But, I mean, Phil Bouchette, who was the synth player in Wawane, who's, you know, died since, um, he and I, you probably both remember that back then because there was no computers or the internet, you could rack up Mm. parking fines and not pay them. And, and like it was not a big deal, so like who who paid their parking fines? Nobody. You just didn't pay them, and then uh, unless you got pulled over by the cops, you'd be fine, right? So when they did pull us over, they did a warrant check, and Phil and myself both had over two thousand dollars worth of parking fines, which back then was probably like ten grand now.
1: Yeah.
4: So they locked us up, and then you know, sure enough, when the cell, and, we're, and it's like something from a movie where. You get the phone call, so we ring our. Ma- I ring the manager, and then he goes to the Bondi Police Station, pays the fee, you know, and then he let us go. And then blah blah blah. When we got to when we got to the gig in Queensland, um, we were the story had beaten us to the venue because our manager had obviously told the rest of the group. Right, so um, I remember she had a, a guy. It was Rick Derringer playing guitar with her. He was actually quite a legendary guy. Yeah, he did hang on Hang on Snoopy or whatever it was. Hang on Snoopy, yeah. Um, Yeah. And he was a lovely guy, right? But I remember he was filming and he he actually filmed us when we came in and we were like suddenly like we had all this cred because like the Wawa Me were like band boys all of a sudden. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I mean that's what happened. And 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 I actually we would we were in Darwin about two weeks later and I actually I went to Fanny Bay Jail, got a postcard and sent it to the dude, to the <laughs> pub. I can't remember
3: name right. Uh, yeah, well, I haven't been arrested yet. Actually, I got arrested for swearing in the pub. So, yeah, but I didn't go to jail. I didn't spend any time in jail. I just got interviewed and swearing in a pub that you've got to be 18 to get into or see the relevance. You know, it's like, sense. oh, somebody who fuck in a pub. Wow, that's a especially in Dandy novel the places Jesus <laughs> Christ
4: So you going to um, play the new album live? I'd like to, Brian. I mean, it's look. I, I think at the moment, it's it's as you know, it's particularly difficult to do anything with with live music. Um, so I don't know. Maybe in a few months, or maybe next year, I can look at. I've had a few offers to do a couple of things, but I'm I'm kind of a little hesitant currently because of the situation. Um, hopefully, we can get out of this frigging nightmare, and I can. Uh, I would certainly love to do the gig to, to do. So I recently got inducted into this Hall of Fame thing in South Australia, and we did we did a couple of songs at that um, just on the night. So you know, they went over pretty well. So it was all good.
2: Yeah, congratulations yeah. on that. That's a, that's quite an honour. I mean, uh, there's some there's some bloody heavy hitting names in the South Australian Music Hall of Fame. There
4: are. Look, I I had a look through the names, and it was obviously a, a, a real honour to be to be asked to be in it. Um, and then I see Ian Moss, and I'm like, oh my god. Yeah, I love Ian Moss so much. The guy's just incredible. Yeah, you know, yeah. So there, there has been a lot of a lot of talent come from Adelaide for the size of the city. It's it's been remarkable.
2: There was that amazing bunch of uh, you know of ten dollar poms who came over. who all came out of that Adelaide yeah. scene. Uh, the Angels came out yeah. of there. You know, all those bands.
4: Yeah. dude, I'm a ten dollar pom I came out here. I was I actually came free. I wasn't even ten because my parents emigrated. And I was under the age, so I was free. <laughs> so I, I was less than ten dollars. <laughs> I mean, look, I grew up in the UK in the sixties and seventies, and I think if you, how could you be in the UK when the Beatles are happening and not be into music? I mean, really,
2: Steve, when you when you hear "Stimulation" now, what's your immediate sort of reaction when you hear that song played now?
4: Look, I was recently in the supermarket, and "Stimulation" came on over the PA, and oh, really? I literally. I'm making it, I felt like I was in a film clip. I'm going, and I'm kind of like walking around being a real wanker. Look, I never really liked Stimulation, to be honest, Kevin. I, I, It was a song, it was a throwaway track that was never meant to be much. I guess it's like Warrant with Cherry Pie, you know. <laughs> you, you have this freaking massive hit and you're kind of going, hang on, that's not really what the... I mean, Wawani Live was nothing like Stimulation. Yeah. The band was kick off. We had a killer live band. You know, we had pretty good musos. And, and I guess having a hit like that, especially with your first song, it's a blessing and a curse, you know. And, and the interesting thing with Wawani is every single we released charted lower than the previous one.
2: Oh, okay. Oh.
4: sort of disheartening in a sense. Like Stimulation got to number two nationally. I Can Make You Love Me got to maybe like four, I think. Sugar Free was maybe eight. And then they gradually dropped off. So you're sort of going, "Hang on, like the band's better, but like, but it, that's the that's the fickle nature of success and what is success, you know? People love that song, so I, I don't get it, but, you know. Were you but
2: crook when you were, you were in hospital or something when that was when the session was booked? Yeah, I for that? was.
4: Look, I'd I had a, I'd had a burst. I mean, you got to, We didn't even have a group. But Paul and I had done some. We recorded some demos and and we recorded four songs all of which ended up on that album, the first album. But we we paid, you know, a few hundred dollars and went into a studio and recorded them, sort of okay. Um, then we got a guy to take the tape to the record. He went straight to CBS and they offered us a deal immediately. So with that, we, we literally, it was like too easy almost. So we got this deal about a week before the session was due to be done. Um, I got really sick with my appendix and all that. I ended up in hospital, so I... Literally was in hospital, and then Paul Gray was going to be going into the to do the track, and and I was fucked, right? So Paul said, "Look, I'm going to have to get Rex Go to play guitar on the track," and I was like, "Man, this is like Ringo not not playing on the first Beatles song," you know? <laughs> I was like, "Man, there's no way that's happening." Even though I don't particularly dig the track, um, I'm playing on this frigging record. So I <laughs> I remember speaking to the surgeon, nice. and, and he literally said there was a couple of nurses I think he was trying to be cool. He actually said. So how many tracks are you cutting? <laughs> right. Where he, he gave me a day pass, so I went out, did the track. A um, friend of mine who recently passed away, funny guy Chris Lawler. He, um, he always used to make the crack that he could hear the stitches feeding back with his stimulation. Right? <laughs>
2: So that's the song that, uh, I guess, put him on the map and, uh, and made people sit up and look at him. But there's a heck of a lot more, as we know, to, uh, to Steve Williams than, uh, than Stimulation by Wawani. Absolutely. Lovely man. Yep, terrific, Blake. Uh, we'll be touring soon, and uh, check that album out. Deja Vu is available on all the uh, all the platforms that you can uh, you can check out and all the d- usual sources, uh, so make sure you uh, have a listen. And uh, really good to play that song, Pump, a little earlier as well. Now, Brian, you, you're not in this yes. next bit. No. Nope. Because it was uh, done oh, yeah. when you were off doing uh, other bits and pieces, and I think it was also very early in the morning from memory. <laughs> I got the chance uh, for the second time. We've we've done it once before and had a chat about a whole load of things, but this time mostly talked about uh, his new album called Now and the Evermore. So this is me over in Kev's corner uh, speaking to <coughs> Colin Hay. And i start by asking him about a bit he does in his live show about all the songs, all his songs, sitting backstage, having a conversation about who's actually going to be performed that night by Colin. And I wondered uh, where the new songs from the new album would fit into that conversation.
6: I talk about Down Under. I talk about all the songs, you know, hanging out backstage, hoping to get a Guernsey, you know, hoping to get a run on the ball. Except for Down Under, he never, you know, he doesn't bother putting his boots on. You know, he just he just stands in his socks and filing his nails and saying, "And he will play me last because I'm the most famous." (laughs) Um, But yeah, no, they they're very kind to each other. You know, they're they're all team players and they're happy to to happy to go on whenever. Whenever they're needed, whenever they're wanted. I mean, no one likes sitting on the bench, do they? But you know, um, most of them get a run on the ball at some point. Love
2: is everywhere is the one I thought would be the <coughs> one vying for for pick me, pick me because it's it's such a it's such a positive song and it's such a a song of of hope and uh, and uh, that the world is actually a good place.
6: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the that's the thing, isn't it? you forget that sometimes when you, when you're because of so much bombardment, you know, bombardment with, um, with what's going on in the world, but um, you know, it does exist and it is everywhere. You know, it's, it's just, I mean, it's astonishing that we're on this little blue planet and that we're floating around the sun. Um, Anyway, you know, it's, 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 it's constantly remarkable to me that we're, that we are actually where we are. So, and, I'm sure there's other life out there, but at the moment, we're it. But um, I see evidence of it everywhere I go. I mean, I tour a lot. I've been touring for the last 30 or 35 years, and I've felt a lot of it. You know, I've felt a lot of it directed my, in, in my direction. So I'm very, I'm very fortunate in that way.
2: Are you constantly surprised at the life you have?
6: Um, yes. Yes, I'm delighted. I mean, I, I think that I, I got set up pretty well you know, by my mother and father and my family. Um, I think uh, to be to be loved and kept secure when you're growing up uh, can't be overstated, uh, the power of that and how that sets you up for the rest of your life. Um, well, that's been my experience anyway, you know. Yeah, I mean, I've, I I keep working. I, I like working. I came over here about 30, 32 years ago you know, because I could. And kind of started again, really. I mean, it wasn't really starting again because I I wasn't poor. I had I had some some money and stuff, and I and I had I had a history with the old band. It really didn't really matter that much, you know. If uh, you know, at that point, people had moved on, and Men at Work was pretty much something people listened to, and you know, got on with their lives. And so I I had to figure out how to. Um, you know how to stay in the game, kind of thing. So I just kind of made it up as I went along. But yeah, I've I've had a I've had a remark. I still I have had a remarkable life. It's it's um I'm very I'm a very fortunate person. Absolutely.
2: So is your happy place uh, just just you and a guitar and, uh, and and a room full of people, or is your happy place you and a guitar and no people? Where where is where is the happy place for you, Colin?
6: Oh well, the happy place more than anywhere is is probably where I am right now, which is down in the studio. <laughs> I love I love being down here. I love being home more than anywhere, really. Um, truth be known. But um, when I go out on the road, it's, um, I mean, there's three things to what we do, you know, as you're probably well aware. Um, I mean, you write these tunes and you record them and then you go out and play them. And going out and playing them is a is a reproduction, in a sense, of something you've already created. And so... The most exciting part of what I do is when I'm, uh, when I'm writing songs and recording. That's really what I love the most. And when you're out on the road, you have an audience, and so that's a different kind of excitement. But, and I love playing them by myself because I started doing it a long time ago, and people like that aspect of what I do, and they come along and they, they want something from that, you know, and they get something from it, I think, otherwise they wouldn't you know, keep coming back. So I like that. I like the intimacy of that. And but I love playing in the band as well. I love when we go out when I go out and play with a band, it's like being in a gang or it's a family really more than anything else now. So um, it's really a lot of fun when you're with the band. You know, we got this tour bus and we take the dog and it's just it's ridiculous, you know?
1: Yeah. It's
6: good the
2: the the joy of songwriting is that is that still something that you that you really do love and that you're able now to put a, a different perspective into and a different sense of yourself into your, into the words that you write these days?
6: Oh, I don't really know, really. I mean, I think I've always kind of written pretty much the same way. I mean, I, list, I look at some, like a song like I don't know, Down by the Sea or Overkill and it's or even Down Under's got um, you know a darkness to it that people never didn't really particularly pick up on at the time you know i think probably back when i you know when i was younger i probably was I didn't have as uh, you know wasn't really particularly confident suppose as a songwriter no but as you get older you just try and get better don't you, you just try and get better you try and get more essential you try and same same interesting things with less and it's not you know it's not necessarily joyful all the time i mean it's it's a it's an interesting process you know to to you know to sit down and go okay I'm gonna I'm gonna write a song I'm always shocked when when I actually do write a song Mm. you know I think it's it's a it's a I think wow let's let's play it for somebody and and they and they go on it and they like it or they love it or they don't like it you know whichever the case may be but I don't know whether it's just a habit you know I started doing it when I was about 14 years old but I like the process of it. I, I work with a guy, a friend of mine, that lives up the road from me and older. He's older than me. He's, he's in his 70s, and but he's like a child, really. But he's a great songwriter, and he's a Californian. His name's Michael Addis Great, great songwriter. So I like working with him because we, you know, we kind of, we bicker and we kind of argue about mm-hmm. lines and kind of this arrangements and stuff like that. And it's, um, that's kind of fun, you know, going through that process. Was this
2: a, was this a more reflective kind of you writing the, the the words and 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 these songs for this album?
6: I don't think so. No, I mean I, I I don't think so. I mean I I try and just kind of write things. Try and keep it in the in the you know in the present. But but you can't help but be reflective. You can't help but think of. Of what's gone, or even you know, they're not even necessarily you know autobiographical either. You know, yeah. they're, or they're they're just they're just like stories and, and ideas, and you know, for for um, that I think are interesting. You know, ideas pop into your head, and you kind of follow them to where they're to where they go, and and often they, they take turns you didn't that you didn't expect. You know, do we but, do um, we
2: overthink it? Do we overthink it when we look at these things and try and read stuff into it that? You weren't thinking of at the time at all. It just it just kind of happened.
6: Oh, I'm glad people do. I'm glad people do overthink it, you know, because that's that means that there's something there for them to think about, you know. And uh, that's a that's a cool thing. I don't mind that at all, you know.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, you mentioned touring. Uh, I noticed you're touring with uh, with John White and and Rick Springfield.
6: Yes, in in August, uh, I'm going out uh, before that with Ringo, though.
2: Yep, with the All Star Band. Uh,
6: and then I, and then, um, well, I'm going out by myself solo on Wednesday for another three weeks. Then I come back for a week and then I go out and ring playing Ringo's band. And then we do a tour in August with Rick and John. Um, and that'll be, that'll be, that'll be good, I think. It's, it's already doing quite well. So he's, uh, they're both very, very, um, you know, they're excellent artists, both of them. And, um, They've been around for a long time, and they both sing well and, and play great. And um, I remember seeing Rick Springfield with Zoot when I was probably fourteen or fifteen. Yep. And he was a star then, you know. And I, he was memorable even then, you know, because he was, um, you know, he had he, he had he had it all gone on, you know. So and uh, he's he's been over here forever. He's been over here for I think longer than longer than I have. So um, yeah, it'll be it'll be good. Yeah. That'll be fun. Yeah. Um, um, what, you're, I mean, it's my it's my band here. You know, it's it's billed as men at work, but it's just me and and the band that I have in Los Angeles. It's the same band. I mean, I don't make any. Uh, you know, I make it very clear that it's not. Um, you know, there's no it's not a, a, a men at work uh, old band or anything because Greg's gone and and uh, and so it couldn't be that in any way. We do a men at work set list. Is basically what it is, but yeah. I've done it a little bit. I haven't done too much of it. I don't want to do a lot of it, but, um, you know, I'll go out as Men at Work. People seem very happy. They they love hearing those songs and we can do like a whole set list, which is just all Men at Work songs. And so yeah. it works It works pretty well.
2: 40 years ago, it's the 40th anniversary of the release of that album. Uh, you're releasing a new album now and you've, you've 40 years ago released that one. What, what's the difference in how you feel about what you're releasing now as to how you felt about a release of an album 40 years ago?
6: Well. Um, it's all exciting. I still make. I still like making records. I still like making albums. You know, it's an old-fashioned thing to mm-hmm. do. <laughs> mm. You know, a lot of people are making singles, and 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 maybe that will be something that that I do in the future because it takes a lot. It takes a lot out of you out of you to 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 write and record a record, and and you can, and it takes a while too. You know, it, it can take like a couple of years out of your life to 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 write and write and record a record. I mean, I was amazed. I wanted to. I always wanted to make records, you know. And when we made the the first one, it was it, we it took ten days, you know, to make that first business as usual record. Um, five days for the all for rhythm tracks, and five days for overdubs. I feel uh, like the records are getting better all the time. That's the main reason you do it. You just try and. I, I really, I I love this record. Uh, now, in the Evermore, more this record, I I I truly love it. I, I love how it makes me feel when I listen to it. Um, I think probably what you were talking about before the, ref- the reflective part is that it's, um, you know, I had a lot of I had a lot of time from my mother and father. You know, they were they were big influences in my life, and and I still struggle with that—the fact they've gone. You know, I think a lot of people do who who lose people they love, and everyone does. Everyone goes through that, and, and indeed, you know, we all we all go. You know, we all get we all get shown the door at some point. You mm. know, but um, having the music shop. Uh, in Scotland before I came to Australia was a beautiful thing, you know, from 58 to 67 and the, the, the astonishing music that got made during that time just was, was, um, you know, it was everything, every, every week was a revelation really, you know, every week you'd get, you really got me would come in the door or I feel fine. And you'd put it on and your mind would be Just blowing up every, or, you know, yourself, your mind would be blowing every week, you know, yeah. every day.
2: Yeah. Well, I saw, so, I saw um, a lovely a lovely story of you telling your, your dad playing you the Beatles for the first time and saying, I think I think they, they actually might do all right, this mob.
6: Yeah, they'll do quite well, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, well, did
2: you used um, to play all the songs? Another thing I saw in that, in that uh, film that, that was done is that you used to play the songs to your mum and dad to, that you wrote. You'd go down and, and play them to them and, and, and
6: they'd oh, hear. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I used to play them all the so- all songs. I mean, not, I guess... Um, yeah, I would. Yeah, I would play them songs. I would play. I always play them if I had a song that I was messing around with. I'd go, "What do you think of this?" and and uh, play them for play play songs for them. Yeah,
2: yeah. Is starfish they were a great audience. starfish and unicorns? Is that is that the track you're referring to on on the new album that's about your mum and dad?
6: Yeah, yeah. It was. It was. Um. Yeah. Again, my father and, and I. You know, we used to go at it something shocking sometimes. You know, as as fathers and sons can do. You know, he used to worry about me a lot and. um I drove around for years with my mother, with my mother's ashes in the, in the, in the car. And my, my sister had my father's ashes. And so my brother and sister and I were, were very rarely in the same town together, but we happened to be in Melbourne. So we thought well, we'd take it upon ourselves to, um, to spread their ashes. So we spread their ashes down near where they lived in Port Phillip Bay, down by, uh, by, by Beaumaris there, where they used to live, and down by the, the yacht club there, in the, in the, just by the pier and we and we we let their ashes go there so that's where they are and and they settled on a on the seabed you know with a, a family of starfish and the i mean the idea for that was just really that the song was really trying to get across the idea of how 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 special that relationship was and indeed and still is even even when they've gone you continue to have a relationship with them I talk to them all the time, you know, even although mm. they've been gone, they've been gone for years. And especially that's one of the things about playing live is really great for me because my old man was on the stage when he was a teenager. And so it's a strange thing, you know, after he died, uh, you know, people say that your parents can inhabit you and they when they enter your heart. And so for, that's what I felt. I felt that about my father. And I felt like when I was on stage, I was I was performing for both of us. You know, I felt like I had a you know, I, I, he was giving me a helping hand and and I may have imagined that, but I don't really care. You know, it was, I could, I could, it's a great way to actually still feel his presence in some ways. You know, it's vaudevillian, you know, it's just, okay, here we are, you know, treading these boards here. And uh, that's, uh, that's what he did when he was a teenager. And I, I just kind of, I love the idea of, of continuing that and, and for as long as I can, you know.
2: Yeah. Your relationship with Ringo is obviously very special. He plays on the on the title track of this of this album. Um, I know we've got to wrap up, but I just wanted to get a, a final word on. And you're about to go out in the road with him again, so that's obviously a very special uh, relationship you have with him.
6: Well, it's beautiful. I love it. I mean, I, I don't. I have a you know, I have a professional relationship with him. Really, I mean, I don't. I don't hang out with Ringo, and and uh, I mean, he he calls me now and again, and we have a chat, and uh, I've, I've seen him. A few times, you know, socially, but it's mainly mainly when we do the tours that we hang out and get spend time together, you know. So there's nothing wrong with going out on tour with Ringo, you know. It's a, <laughs> it's just, it's it's surreal still. You you know, you turn up and he comes on the stage and he's like, <laughs> All right, let's do it and, and you turn around and fucking Ringo stars playing the drums, you know, it <laughs> just blows your blows your mind, you know <laughs> every day.
2: is uh, Colin Hay, Love Is Everywhere From Now and The Evermore, which is available on his website and uh, and Spotify and all those places where you uh, can uh, buy music and stream music these days. Hey, that's another rep done and dusted, uh, Mr Mannix. Thank you very much.
3: Thank you, Kev. It's been fun. I've had a good time on this episode. I always have a good time, but um, it was a little bit different this week with Fiona on. i just yeah. thought that was something new for us and I enjoyed
2: it. Yeah, no, it was good. What a blockbuster lineup! a of guests for the next Life of Brian. John Waite.
3: Oh, gee, did we have a good shot time with him?
2: Did we ever. You and he yeah, were like two he, peas in a pod just quietly.
3: Yeah, I, I, I agree. Him and me got a really good um, – yep. we sort of same had the same sort of attitude about music and – yeah, I was surprised how well we got on, but I really, yeah, I really enjoyed that conversation too. It
2: was a beauty. Yeah, he's a good fella. and missing you is one of the, uh, you know, gee, was what a big song and uh, the baby stuff and bad English. We'll talk about all that with him uh, on the next program, and we're also going to catch up with the man who's soon to be seen in the uh, new stage uh, version of Hairspray. Shane Jacobson is going to join us as well.
3: Oh, he's funny. He is really good. He's, he's a funny ass. He's a ripper. He yeah. is a good oh, bloke. Let's guess. That's a great episode next week then. Yep, it's, and um, and both of those went really well.
2: And if yep. that's not enough for you, we're gonna sneak in a little uh, brief little cameo appearance from Scotty Kahn as well from uh, Kids in the Kitchen. Oh yes. That's to look forward to. John Waite, Shane Jacobson, Scott Kahn, Kevin Hillier, and what's the his, other bloke. What's his name?
3: Uh, oh I yeah, that's know, it. Romanics. Romanics.
2: See Bromanics. Romanics. See you brometics. <laughs> bro
3: <laughs> Ah, oh, fantastic! Is there anything else you'd need to say, Kev?
2: Brian Mannix. What about our friends at Mercots? Are you going to mention them again? Their name's not Brian Mannix. Three hundred triple five five seven six. Okay, you can you can mention them again, Brian Mannix. Hello. <laughs> what? One three hundred five 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 seven six Mercot's dot edu They'll look after you. They'll make sure that you're safe and. And well, and uh, will be with us for the next episode of Life of Brian. Dot, dot, dot. Mannix, that is. See, you, Brian.